<laughs> All right. That was nice. Thanks, guys and ladies. Welcome to the program. My name is Jesse Peterson. Um, as you know, I am the uh, founder and president of the Brotherhood Organization of a New Destiny. And the purpose is to rebuild the family by rebuilding the man. We deal with every aspect uh, of, of the family, every aspect. So today we're talking about homelessness, I think. We're talking about homelessness. We're, we're talking to some of the uh, heads or the director of the uh, uh, homeless shelters that provide services for men uh, who are having difficulties with life. And today my first guest is Mike Neely from Homeless Outreach Program. Thanks for coming, Mike. Thank you. And with Mike is uh, Walter Grant, Gant, Gant. Gant and Floyd Fluellen. 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 All right. Hey, Mike, I want you to tell me a little bit about your program. Well, our program is a unique kind of program insofar as we are a street outreach team in throughout the city of Los Angeles. And what we do is go out to where homeless people are, try our best to do an assessment on the streets, and then from there to refer them to the proper services, whether those services are shelter services, recovery services, uh, services for food, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, the outreach staff has been trained to work in various areas, going to abandoned buildings and in alleys and the places where homeless people congregate in an effort to make the initial contact and then to provide a level of education for people relative to exactly what the services are available for them. And do you deal with both male and female? Well, when you're out on the streets, one of the things that happens is, is that you don't, the choices are very quickly taken away from you. Mm-hmm. Whomsoever is out there is what the staff deals with. Uh, and that includes women, children, teenagers, uh, individuals who are gay and bisexual and homosexual and just the whole gamut of individuals who are out in the streets. And how do you uh, know where to send them? Have you gone around and um, introduced yourself to other organizations that accept them? Well, we have developed a referral network over the course of the years. Uh, We have been in contact with most of the agencies in some way or another. We have been very, very active in community affairs, other kinds of things, which brings me in contact with shelter providers, shelter operators. And we also exchange and share ideas relative to service delivery and those kinds of things. Really? Mike, can you define homelessness for me? No. You can't? Uh, I believe that the reason for that is because homelessness for every person is individualized. The situation, I mean, there are definitions, certainly, but everybody's experience and everybody's form of homelessness is a bit different. Uh, Homelessness for an addict is different than homelessness for a battered or abused woman. So when you begin to look at homelessness, one of the problems that we've had is that they want everybody lumped into one category. Homeless people don't fit into one category. Homeless people run the whole gamut. And in running that whole gamut, it becomes important for us to recognize and to deal with the individual and the individual's problems. Um, Well, how do you know when a person is homeless if there is no particular category? Well, it's uh, the flippant answer to that would be it's similar to how do you know when a person is black or a person is Hispanic? 
because of the fact that my you mean staff, homelessness is like being black. Oh, it's probably worse than being black. <laughs> really? You know what I what I don't understand about that statement is that it seems as though everybody associate uh, perversion or wickedness with being black. You know, the homosexuals say, you know, you treat me like I'm black. Uh, the baby killers say, you kill me, you know, you treat me like I'm black. And now you're saying homelessness is like being black. And no, I, don't I said understand it was that. worse than being black. How is that? It's worse than being black because the dignity of an individual is completely lost. The feeling of hopelessness, the feeling of helplessness, that despair, that disconnection from all of the things that constitute the American dream, and the the sense that one will never be able to experience any of that is a very real kind of thing for homeless people. And that's what it's like to be black? Uh, in a lot of ways, disenfranchisement is the same kind of feeling, yes. Uh, and to be disenfranchised because of one's skin color or to be disenfranchised because of one's economic status, they are similar in uh, the really? impact that they have on an individual. Uh, you think that uh, blacks are disenfranchised because of their uh, financial status? Well, I think the first thing that we have to do is that we have to come out of the denial and come out of the, uh, the media hype that has been given to homelessness. Uh, if one were to look at the media or one were to believe a lot of the hype, one would believe that most of the people that are out on the street are non-whites. The reality is, is that most of the people that are out on the streets are people of color. And we have to face that reality as a people if we are ever going to begin to deal with solving the problem. We haven't, as a community, stepped forward and done that. Why is there more um, non-white people that are homeless rather than whites? Well, I think that there are several reasons for it. The support networks and support systems that are available to non-whites are very fragile. I believe that the abilities for people to be able to uh, overcome some of the difficulties that we have, especially in our new techno society, are not there. I believe that the school system has failed uh, our, our, our non-white community insofar as not providing them with the education to be able to compete. I believe that the economic circumstances have been one that have been skewed very definitely against non-whites. We really? are at the lowest socioeconomic realm in this country. My. And being at that realm, it is very easy for one to become homeless. Define support system. What do you mean by that? Support system is those things that are in place to provide you with help and support when a crisis occurs. How would you explain then? How would you explain then that over the last thirty years, mm -hmm. uh, blacks, uh, especially blacks mm -hmm. uh, and non-whites, uh, have been able to pretty much get anything they want? The government has really just laid it out for us. We had all kind of programs. Anybody, their mama could get on welfare. Uh, they have um, uh, general relief that. All you have to do is say that I'm a drug addict and get it, you know, the money and the food stamp and, and Medicare and health coverage and all that. And over 30 years, they've, they've gotten worse when they've had all that they could give, and they have not gotten better. Why is that? Well, the issue If the becomes, support system is not there. Well, the issue becomes very, very simply. Have we put in place the right types of systems and programs necessary for people to advance? When you're talking about welfare programs, you're talking about programs that give people the ability to subsist. If you give someone the ability to subsist, they will subsist. 
If you give a person an opportunity, they will prosper. Programs have not necessarily been designed for people to prosper. What's a right program? I think that a right program is a program that presents opportunities and for people to be able to, one, establish for themselves their goals and then to have the means to be able to achieve those goals Mike I need to take a break I'm sorry to cut you off she's uh, jumping at the bed when I come back I want you to to define opportunity for me we're going to take a break and be back in a moment Bond the brotherhood organization of a new destiny rebuilding the family by rebuilding the man for more information, call us toll-free, 1-800-411-BOND. That's 1-800-411-BOND. Okay, we are back. We are back, and we are talking to Mike Neely, uh, the director of the Homeless Outreach uh, Center. Program. Program. Uh, Mike, where are you located? And phone We're located like in uh, downtown Los Angeles on 333 South Central uh, in Skid Row, Los Angeles. Okay. Uh, do you, you didn't answer the question about being black and being homeless. you want to answer that? I, I think I did answer it. What I answered was is that the state of homelessness, the existence of being homeless, is worse than being a minority in this country. And I'm not ready to change that position. That was the answer. But, Mike, uh, to me, you know, and I'm black, mm-hmm. being a black in this country is a blessing and not a curse. And it's, it's not as bad as people say that it is. It's just it's something else wrong with people. And they are missing the opportunities in this country by, com- you know, complaining and wanting someone to give them something and not really being strong and, and, and seeing the opportunities that are here. I don't see it as being a bad thing. Well, That's for why me, I can't associate homelessness with being black. For me, country. being a being a black man in this world is a blessing, but being a black man in America is not necessarily so. How is that? Well, as long as America has racism, as long as America has discrimination, as long as America is ruled from the very heavy top down, and when 1% of this nation controls about 70% of all of the wealth, and all of those 1% happen to be white people, I have a problem with that. Really? Yeah. Um, You can stand for me. You have a question. Jesse, I have a comment. I want to echo behind what Mike said about support systems. Absolutely. Uh, a perfect example about support systems. In the city of Compton right now, we have an employment office that services 300,000 residents in, in uh, surrounding communities. And right now, that unemployment office is scheduled to be closed, to be taken from the community. That's a strong support system. The logic behind that is that they are downsizing, eventually going to save money by closing down certain uh, EDD offices, and they're all located in minority communities. The irony of it is that while they are saying that they must close to save, they're building a brand new one in Anaheim. Now, my comment is that that's a strong support system to become economically stable and viable. Okay, that's being taken from us, and that's a contributing factor to homelessness. People need jobs. Young people need jobs. And if they don't have a place in their own community to go and find jobs, what is the basis? What is the rationale for closing that unemployment office when there's going to be a disenfranchisement of the communities, 300,000 residents without services? Yet at the same time, in white majority communities, they're building brand new facilities. That's a prime example of, of, of racism, and that's a prime example of, of how the, 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 the majority in power 
or press to my nose. Well, you I, wanted to, I want to breathe a, really further amplify on something that you said, Jesse, and it really bothers me when you talk about welfare. Uh, the largest recipients of welfare in America happen to be middle-class Americans. Middle-class Americans receive, just through the deduction on their home mortgage, more money in one year than a welfare family could receive in five. So when you're talking about government assistance, that is government assistance. I call it welfare. And we have never dealt with that level of subsidy. But when we talk about programs and things that are bad, then we automatically talk about those things that are part of the poor yeah. ability to be able to survive. Well, Mike, that leads me to ask, if a, a middle-class person is working hard, investing their money back into the country by buying homes and providing jobs, they should get something back in return. But if a person is on welfare and not working and giving anything, they shouldn't get anything back. I don't know how that's not dealing with the issue of subsidy. The subsidy is still there. But how do you subsidize to a person who doesn't do anything? If I own a house, right? If I rent, I get no tax subsidy, right? Now, where is the equity there? But the whole thing is that if you got if you get something back because you're earning it, it motivates you to to work hard and put back into the country. But if you're getting something back. For doing nothing. Owning real estate then adds going to nothing to the gross national product. Yes, it, it does. It does not improve or produce anything because you own real estate. But it does. It does not. It, it provides jobs. For whom? For, for, for an example, we, we just purchase a building. And, and in that building, we have a job hotline. We're able to provide a job for young men like this who come into the city uh, and looking for work. This man been in, this, in town two days and has a job already mm-hmm. because we have, have a building that we purchased that we are providing that for. Okay. That's the service that's being provided. It has nothing to do with the ownership of the real estate. But it does. Well. Mike, how, how do you expect that someone should get something for nothing? Though? I don't understand that. Well, you get something for nothing when you buy a house. No, you don't. You have to work to pay for it. You have, have to, to work to get it. Paying rent is the same as paying a mortgage, no. Okay, but uh, Murray Butler is back to you about the statement you made back here. Which is, you got to take a lot of the people that you say that's on welfare. I've been worked over 20 or 30 years of their lives. And then they took the jobs and moved them out of the country with NAFA and everything else. And then here we we stuck here without no jobs. And so that's why we're forced to be on welfare right now. Like myself, I had to retrain myself. You did. So, well, uh, what kind of work were you doing before they took your job away? Uh, I had a top secret clearance in the aircraft industry. You did. And you wasn't able to either create your own job or find another one out as a result of that? Yeah, I went and trained myself. I became an iron worker after that. An iron worker? Yeah. So why are you on welfare now then? Why am I on welfare now? Because I had a drug problem. Oh, okay. And why do you have the drug problem? Because the drug problem, because of the, the crisis that it caused me from when they moved my job, took it down to Mexico, me and my wife and my family, we had problems. So I try to blame everybody else for my problem, but if I'd have known about Christ like I do now, I wouldn't be in the problem that I have now. See, right now, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a dysfunctional person. But now I'm building, building myself back so I can be more motivated and determined to put myself back in the Florida community. So then, if they took your job away... It wasn't their fault that you're on drugs. You didn't know how to handle the situation. That's right. Okay, so that's what we need to deal with because if you had handled the situation, you would have been able to go out and get another job, right? Yeah, but it's important. Why take the job away from us? And they're talking about the deficit of the country right now. 
But why why worry why worry about why they took the job? Why not say, Well they took the job, the hell with them, I'll create my own job. Why can I create my own job and there's no 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 money here to do, create another job? Well, you know Jesse, that's a but, very interesting but, premise. But, but I would like to on one answer one thing. Yeah, on let that. me answer this for him. You could create your own job without having a lot of money. When uh I I had let me tell you what happened. SBAs and everything else you're trying no, to talk no. about. See, I'm, see I'm let me saying. tell you this. Let me tell you this. Let me tell you this. When I wanted to do my own business, uh, I sat down and figured out what is the cheapest way to start a business without having to borrow money from the bank, uh, without having to do the SBA thing. I decided I'll start a janitorial service. It doesn't take any money to do that. Mm-hmm. So I made up some flyers. I put them on the cars in the parking lots. The people would call and say, I want you to do my carpet. They gave me a deposit. I rented the machine and did the carpet. They paid me in full. I saved the money, reinvested it, bought my own equipment. And after a while, I had 10 or 15 people working for me. So there is a way. Okay, what I'm saying, if, if it was that prosperous, then you wouldn't be doing the show. See what I'm saying? I'm sorry? You wouldn't be doing the show right now with that prosperous because you'd be sitting back at home and watching your income coming in, right? No, well, what happened was, after a while, another door opened up for me. I sold the business. I started a national organization. I became a radio talk show host, a TV talk show host. Mm-hmm. One thing leads to another, and if you know how to deal with life and, and walk into the opportunity, but if you sit back and complain and worry and freak out, then you won't. You end up on drugs. I'm not complaining, but see, I have kids too. All right. Too. All right. So we all try to, we, we're raised in a certain way saying as, as our parents say, well, I'm going to try to leave something for my kids. We come along. So that's what we build on. But we find out that it doesn't work that way. But it can work that way. I have, thank you. Mm-hmm. I have five kids that I adopted, one child of my own. They're all working. They're not on drugs. They're doing well. I've set a good example. You can make it in America if you know how to deal with life. And the problem is most people don't know how to deal with the issue of life. They freak out the minute that something goes wrong. And when you freak out, you lose your way. Well, the whole thing about it is, is that that's a wonderful fairy tale, and that's a wonderful it's not, story. It's a reality. It is not reality. It is reality. The reality is, the reality is, is that when you talk about the opportunity to create job or create a business or whatever, the average net worth of an African American in America is four hundred and seventy-one dollars. That's period. End of report. Is that a welfare person? No, that's all African Americans. Whether you have that's not true, Mike. I know it's true. I know true. men and women who make much Jesse, more money. Jesse, I can that. produce the statistics for you. But that's not true. That is that, that is, is absolutely well, not if true. If you want to deny statistics, that's fine, Mike. Me? That is not true. The issue, though, is that if but the issue is that's if not true. we had equal opportunity in America, if we had equal opportunity in America, a lot of the things, a lot of the things that happen today would not have gone on. And those things have been going on historically. Mike, when will you know that you have equal opportunity? When will we know? When will you know if you have it or not? I will know it when any man, any man, regardless of where he started from, his economic status in life as he came through things, when every man has equal education, when every man has the opportunities to be able to go to whatever heights they may want to go. Now, we talk that stuff, but guess what? I have, I have a child that, is born, uh, that was born a year ago. He is a black male. I have no expectations that he will grow up to be the president. Well, that's sad, And Mark. that's real. But that's a problem that you need to well, overcome. Well, we've only been through 400 years of America, and that ain't happened yet. But that, it can so, happen, and it will happen. Well, how long do I have to wait? Until it happens. Oh. Everything takes time. Anytime you begin to grow and make change, Mike, it, it, it takes time for it to happen, and it will happen. Um, you were part of the program there? Yes. And um, 
Um, why why are you home? Why were you homeless, or why are you homeless? I was homeless basically because uh, alcohol and drugs. Alcohol and drugs. And why did you end up on alcohol and drugs? Why did I end up on alcohol and drugs? Yes. That's a good question. I know. Why did I end up on alcohol and drugs? Was probably you never because, thought about that before? Yeah, I've, th- I've thought about it, but I'm telling you that that's a good question. Oh, okay. Why? I know why come I ended up on alcohol and drugs. Because I didn't want to deal with the things that was uh, emotions. I had a lot of emotional problems. Absolutely. And I didn't want, and I used alcohol and drugs to, to fix me. problem. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, in the definition of homelessness, from what I see, you're not a true homeless person. You just don't know how to deal with issues of life. No. I'm a true homeless person. But only because you don't know how to deal with those things that cause you to be emotional. That caused you to use the drugs. I have emotional problems now, but I ain't homeless now. What did where's the emotional problems coming from? Um, just living life. What do you mean by that? You know, uh, I think you asked me a question. You asked me, uh, <clears throat> did homelessness? You, can you repeat yourself again? Uh, I asked you, why were you? On drugs and alcohol. That's the last question. Okay, the last question. And you said it was a good question. Right. So and you said because you were uh, very emotional, you had a lot of emotional problems. Right. And where did the emotional problems come from? Just um, probably the family I was in. Uh, probably know. or? Yes. And, and, and what kind of family were you, were you in? Uh, abusive family. What do you mean by that? Um, just a very f- abusive father. A, a verbally abusive and physically abusive. So your father, yes. your father was abusive to you. Yes, he like beat you up and stuff like yes. that, yell at you, yeah. and that caused you to be emotional, and then that caused you to use the drugs, and then that caused you to be homeless. Is that right? What the drugs? Uh, the father that made you mad, that hurt you, you know, hurt you, uh, and the emotion that came from that caused you to use the drug, right? Right. And as a result of using the drugs, you became homeless. That is right. Yes. Right. So, um, w- if you don't deal with those issues, how will you ever overcome the problems? What do you think going to happen if you never overcome that? If I if I had never overcome, if you don't that, overcome this hostility or resentment that you feel for your dad, I don't for, feel that no more for my dad. You're forgiven him for it. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yes, sir. You have. Yes. And did your life change as a result of that? Yes, my life has changed as a result of. Not using drugs, period. And how did you stop using the drugs? I went to a program. I went to a drug program. And what happened as a result? I mean, what did they do for you? Are you in Mike's program, or he referred you to someone? No, um, I work for Mike. He's our director. Oh, okay. So and you we're the ones him. that, that uh, he was telling you, we're the ones that go out in the street and provide the information to people to try to help them. Oh, okay. Homeless people. So let me ask you this. You went to a program. They dealt with... The resentment that you had for your father that caused you to use the drugs, that caused you to become homeless. No, I dealt with it. You dealt not with they, it. Not they dealt with it. <laughs> okay. So the program didn't help you deal with that? They gave me the two. They gave you the two. And now you're over that. Is that right? Yes. And so what are you doing now in your life, now that you're over that? What am I doing now? Uh-huh. Now I work for the Homeless Outreach Program. You do? Yes. Um, you get, But I want to I, I say something. Yes. The... You said I wasn't actually a homeless person then. Earlier when you was talking, you said I'm not exa- actually a homeless person. You, you wouldn't be my, classified. Because my impression of homelessness, that's what I asked Mike to define it, is a person that is, or a family that is 
or a person that is going along through life, they're working, they're doing their best, and then something happens that was out of their control. You know, they lost a job or the husband got sick, but and they had your, to depend on that for a little while. Are but you that's that kind your of, definition of homeless. That's right. a very de- limited definition. See, that's very limited definition. That's See, limited we have def- people who come in our office that, you know, say guys it's in their 30s, and they ain't never had their own place, and they live with their mother and fathers. Right. For for whatever the reason is, you know. Now, if you asked us, if you go deep, you homeless. That's one one of the things of, of you know. That's homelessness right there. Right. If we want to go deep, do you own that place? Even though it's my cousin or uncle, you know. Let me ask Walter. You said that that's a, a limited definition of homelessness. Certainly. What's a broader definition? Well, anybody can be homeless. As, as my colleague just explained, uh, some people who live with their parents for all their life, they've never had a, a place of their own. Uh, some people, a lot of people that we deal with are homeless as a result of drug and alcohol use, but that's not always the case, and there are, are very many people. You said that if they live with their parents, they should still be homeless? Yes, well, if you've, we have people who have lived uh, with their parents all of their life, and they're uh, in their 30s and older. And all of a sudden, if their parents die or something, and all of a sudden they find themselves out on the street, no place to go, and they they've never had a they never had to go out and and earn a living and support themselves, and um, they're just on their own and they're homeless as a result of uh, a death in the family, or some people live from paycheck to paycheck. I didn't realize that homelessness has changed. The definition of homelessness had changed. Like well, we that. never really came up with a definition of homelessness. You you <laughs> seem to. Um, Rely on your very limited, your very narrow <laughs> view of what homelessness is. <laughs> Walter, we, we're at the end of this program, and we're going to leave on that note. <laughs> but what we're going to do is hold you guys over overnight. So we're going to do one more show. Um, so tune in next week. We're going to do a part two on this with Mike and his crew here. All right? And we're going to pick up where Walter left off at. Tell a friend, tell a neighbor, be cool, and goodbye. Okay. Okay. <laughs> All right, guys. Thanks. No lunch. Welcome to the program. My name is Jesse Peterson, and we're doing a two-part series on homelessness. And I'm learning a lot about homelessness. I didn't know the definition had changed so much, but uh, we're dealing with those issues. And uh, Mike Neely is the uh, director of Homeless Outreach Program in the downtown Los Angeles area. And uh, I asked him to stay over for a part two series, so he did. And Mike, before we go into the discussion I need to know what can people do to help you in your, pro- in your program and the phone number and address where they may reach you at. Well, the biggest thing that people can do is provide us with the kinds of support that we need. And those things take a number of forms, whether it's money, uh, whether it's uh, food and clothing, things of that nature, which are always needed. Yes. Uh, the most important thing, though, that I want to see come out of this show is a new awareness, especially from communities of color, that this is not a problem that doesn't belong to us. It does belong to us, and we need to pull together as a community to work toward the solution of the problem. 
Anyone who wants to contact me, our phone number is area code 213-621-2800. We're located at 333 South Central in Los Angeles, and that's 90013. And they can also call me at my office, and I always have the number and address for you as well. Let's go to Walter. Um, Walter. Yes. You said that uh, uh, homelessness. Are you homeless? Were you homeless at one point? Yes, I was. You were. Uh, can I ask how old you, are you? 39. 39. Yeah. And how old were you when you first became homeless? Uh, about 32, I would say. Really? At 32? Yeah. And what caused you to become homeless? Well, basically drugs and alcohol. Drugs and alcohol. Yes. And why were you on drugs and alcohol? Well, um, I started drinking beer at a young age, and I drank and used recreationally. But uh, the disease of addiction is progressive, and it grows. And uh, before I knew it, I was drinking, using every day. And that became more important than my job and anything else. And I found myself addicted. Really? And, my, I mean, uh, Walter, what were you doing before you became homeless? What kind of work? And, uh, what were your life like? Well, uh, when I arrived here in California, I had a job. I worked at Van Bakery. And... Uh, my life was, it was going along smoothly. But my my drinking and using was, it was getting progressively worse, but I didn't see it at that time because I was able to pay rent and pay bills and yeah. things were going well. And so are you over it now? Oh, well, what I believe is that once you become an addict, you're, an all, you're always an addict. I'm, I'm no longer used. I'm two years clean and sober, but I wouldn't say that I'm over it, no. You believe that you will always be that way? Yes. You do. Do you believe in, in Christ? Are you a Christian? Yes. You are? You are yes, a Christian? Yes, I believe in Christ who was also homeless. Who? He was also homeless. Oh, he was? Yes. But not your kind of homelessness, not due to drugs and alcohol. Well, his reasons were different. But What was his well, reasons? Well, I, I want to say something. Let me just ask him. It's real, hold real on, Mike. critical. I know, but let me you make this point. You question, what caused you to become Mike, homeless? Mike, Mike, hold on. One minute. And what I'll causes be, you to Mike, become Mike. homeless is not have a place to stay. Hold on a minute, Mike. That's Walter. the cause. I know. Hold on. Uh, Walter, you believe in Christ. Yes, I do. That is true. And if you believe in Christ, why do you believe that you're going to always be an alcoholic or a drug addict? Well, I believe in Christ and... Um, if I had cancer, and I believe in Christ, I would still have cancer. Oh, really? I believe that the, the disease of alcoholism uh, and drug addiction is uh, a progressive disease that does not go. It's not a curable disease. And so you it believe be that you believe in something that even Christ can't cure? Well, for myself, my own belief is that God relieved me of the obsession to use and drink, and he took that away from me. So you're cured then? No, I'm not cured. I'm recovered. <laughs> You're recovered. Yeah. But you don't believe that Christ can cure you of it? I said I believe that God uh, removed the obsession. And he took, he took what do you the mean obsession. by that? I don't understand that. I don't understand what you mean by that. Well, as I was explaining, when I was drinking, <laughs> early on in my drinking, I was a social drinker. I was a recreational drinker. And I got, it became progressively worse. You know, I would drink more and more and more often until it was... Um, that was how I spent all my time. I'd wake up wanting to go. I'd wake up with a six-pack, and I'd wake up just to use drugs. My life became centered around using drugs. Right. And it was progressive. I didn't really see it happening, but it happened. I understand that. So let me ask you this, Mike. I mean, Walter. Were you a Christian at the time you 
began to drink. Yes. And you were a Christian then. Yes. <clears throat> and then you're still a Christian, but you don't believe Christ can heal you. That's not what I said. Do you believe that? Well, what I said is I believe. I'm that asking this question. Do you believe Christ can heal you? Yes or no? What I said is that I believe that the uh, the uh, disease is progressive, and once you have it, you have it. It's kind of like herpes. Kind of like herpes? Yeah, once you have it, you have it. And do you believe Christ can cure herpes? Herpes? Well, that's, he hasn't so far, but I'm not saying that he can't. But there's been no cases of uh, herpes being cured so far. So I believe Christ can do all things. Do you believe he can cure your alcohol and drug problem? I believe that he has uh, provided a way for me to escape my alcohol and drug problem. So what do you want to say, Mike? Well, I want to say a couple of things. The first thing is is that when we look at, you know, you ask the questions like, what caused you to become homeless? And, you know, it's very, very simple. When you do not have a place to stay, you are then homeless. Period. End of report. Now, if the reason, the underlying reason is that you had an apartment, you spent the money on drugs, you spent the money on alcohol, and did not pay the rent, then you have no place to stay. The other thing is, is that uh, the denial that alcoholism and addiction are diseases, and they are real diseases in our landscape. These are not fictitious diseases. These are things that people suffer with every day. And the suffering with these agree? diseases... Did someone say they don't agree? You don't agree? Yeah, I don't either. The people that suffer with these diseases... Well, look, hey, you know... Uh, I don't. I'm not asking people to agree. Let me find out why he don't agree with that. Fine. He doesn't agree with that. Well, I want to. I want to answer that question by, by correlating it to the question of can Christ cure the disease of alcoholism, and the answer is no. Christ cannot cure the disease of alcoholism because there is nothing to cure. That's right. There is no medical evidence. That alcoholism is a disease. There's only a hypothesis and a theory. The formula for alcoholism is the host, the agent, the the amount of time, the repetitious, and X factor, which is some supposed genetic presence of some so something wrong in the body, but that hasn't been proven. It is more sensical and logical to accept alcoholism as learned behavior. So therefore, there is no need for a cure. There is a need for mental reorientation for practices and habits, responses, interpretations, cognitive reorientation, but no need for a cure. And so if there is no need for a cure, then Christ is not going to cure. What do you say to that, Mike? Uh, Can you come over here, sir? Sure. Mike, you want to respond to that? I'll let him finish, and then I'll respond. No, go ahead now. Respond. Uh, The issue is, is that... Go ahead, Mark. The issue is, is very, very simple. Uh, there is varying beliefs on what the problem is and what should and could be done about the problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm sure that uh, there are examples. Hold on, Mike. Yes, ma'am. Oh, okay. Go ahead, Mike. Sorry. I'm sure that there are examples from all sides and all spectrums. The true issue, the true issue... <laughs> keep talking about direction the true issue, to tell me how to stand the true issue keep, I, I can hear you Go that ahead. we are concerned with is not necessarily how we achieve an, uh, an end but that end that it is achieved and that individuals are made whole and that individuals are not homeless and that individuals are not suffering and I am not going to 
try to defend one point of view or another point of view. It doesn't make any sense. All I want to do is get people off the street and to relieve their suffering. Bottom yes, line. But uh, if you just get them off the street and relieve their suffering without seeing where it come from in the first place, you'll be like a guy who keeps feed, handing someone a fish instead of teaching them how to fish for themselves. See, if you no. don't see what got them there in the first place and, and get to the root of the problem, it'll just – the problem will keep growing. You have more people on it and the same people on it and over and over again. I believe and you you'll missed, always be recovering instead of getting you, to the I believe you missed it. the first part of what I said, and that is for the person to be made whole. Now, what that takes and what that requires – I didn't go into, but that's the first step of the whole what thing. What it requires is a repentance, a change of a change of heart. You know, a real, a real look into what's actually driving you and causing you to be emotional and 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 uh, upset and and handling the pressures Why? of the world. You know, like a crazy man instead of you know like someone who who's calm and centered and stuff. And uh, if we don't, if we as men don't get to that heart of that problem then we'll always be you know on the edge so to speak you know always recovering from uh something women or booze or work or you know family or tragedy or something oh well uh first off first off i believe that that is the case uh that we are constantly recovering from something the second thing about it is is that i don't believe that there's one way i don't believe that there's one path i believe that there are many many paths and whatever path you may choose to take is fine and it's wonderful because the ultimate goal is to reach truth and if we reach truth then we're okay and I'm not going to say that you've got the path or he's got the path or Jesse's got the path or I've got the path he's got the path everybody's path is going to be different that was why when I began the discussion well, Mike, about homelessness I have to disagree with that. when I began the discussion about homelessness I said it's individualized and that we need to look at it from an individual perspective so the path out of homelessness is still individualized let me just say this to you there's not but one path well, there's no Jesse path or your path or my path or his path and that only path is that men should repent and follow Jesus and in that and I don't mean like this church stuff that you hear these folks doing every day in these big, huge churches, that singing and hooping and hollering and dancing and taking your money. I don't mean that kind of path. But I mean to, to know thyself, to truly seek and understand why am I doing this. And he will show you and he will also cure you from it. So, that is the only path. There is no so other path. In order for me to help a homeless Jewish person, and I have to get them to denounce their religion. I don't think that's very fair. But that's something and that's why Walmart. I said that there are different paths. No, there's not but one path. The, there's not and one the path. path that I think that we're leading to, or that we should have as our goal, is the path of truth. And that path, and what you call that truth at the end, what is I your, think is immaterial. What truth are you talking about? Truth. What truth? Truth is not a debatable issue. I mean, what truth, truth are you truth. referring to? Well, truth is truth. It is not a debatable kind of thing. Truth can be uh, Buddha, it can be Muhammad, it can be uh, Jesus Christ, it can be God, it can be uh, all of those things. All I'm saying is, is that that's what we as men need to get to. Mike, if you don't believe that these guys can be healed from drugs, what's the purpose? If I don't believe, I never said that I believe that they could or could not be. Also, oh, do you disagree drug. with Walter? And, and, I haven't uh, agreed or disagreed with anybody. Well, let me ask you: Do you think that you can overcome drugs? I think drugs can be overcome. I you, think everything can be overcome. So you're not like always a drug addict or alcoholic. I believe that once an individual uh, develops certain traits, 
and those traits, if those are traits of alcoholism and addiction, that that individual will continue with those unless some interventions are taken and that individual, that individual moves down another path. And that path happens to be a path of righteousness and spirituality in a number of things. I'm not necessarily saying that that's the path of Christ. I don't know what that path is, but there are that, that is what that individual has Do you, to you Are you a Christian? Pardon me? Are you no, a Christian? Oh, you're not. So, okay. Yes. Okay, my question is to you again. Uh, to you. Right. Have you ever been uh, addicted to any type of drug at all? Yes. Yeah. Yes. So then you know what uh, recovery is and going through it like then, right? What kind of drug were you on? Uh, I did the uh, during the session they had like the window pane thing you know that acid that explains a lot (laughs) 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 I I did that and uh, I did the uh, weed and stuff like that and then but like Mike and and, what's your name? Floyd and Floyd uh, I I had emotional problem too you know Uh, my dad wasn't there for me and as a result of that um, you know I, I wanted him and I, I was just messed up on the inside, so I started using the drugs. But after a while, I began to examine myself to understand, why am I like this? You know, this is abnormal to be that way. And one day I realized that the reason that I was feeling that way is that I resented my father for not being there for me. And when you hate somebody, you become like what you hate. You know, when you judge, you become judged. And so I realized that I needed to forgive my dad. And when I realized that, I went and forgave my father, and right away the drug habit and everything else fell away. I just I, I was fulfilled on the inside, and I've never needed it anymore. No no withdrawals or anything like that. I was able to go on with life. Okay, I was just wondering because like hold that thought though. Let's take a break. We'll take a break. <laughs> well, don't go. Bond, the Brotherhood Organization of a New Destiny. Rebuilding the family by rebuilding the man. For more information, call us toll-free, 1-800-411-BOND. That's 1-800-411-BOND. Okay. (laughs) All right, cut it. Mike has asked me to expand my... So I'm going to try to expand myself. These Broader horizons. Broad is the way. Narrow is the path. I'm kind of narrow-like. Um, so what do you want to say? To okay, me? no, I was going to ask you because the reason when you was asking the question is like you're kind of badgering in a way because when you come off of addiction, it depends on how you talk to a person because we already got a negative approach when, we, you know, when we're there. So if you've never been addicted to anything, it's hard to ask a question with a positive outlook. That's why I was asking that. No, I was addicted to sex and all that stuff, man. <laughs> all that stuff but you can overcome see I know you can overcome because I've been there I believe uh, um, because I was looking within myself I wasn't blaming anyone else I really wanted to know what was wrong with me and for those that believe in Christ the Bible tells you to know thyself and if you know yourself you know why you do things and when you can see why you do things you can overcome anything there's not one thing on this earth that you can't overcome but as long as you got some kind of easy way out and people are preventing you from looking at yourself you're not going to ever overcome you're going to be 90 years old the government can give you every program that you want you can ask for what you want and they'll give it to you and you still have the same problem we need to repent that's the problem thanks man good question though yeah uh, Yes, sir. Yeah, I have a question regarding the learned uh, 
the learned behavior traits regarding addiction, how would you then explain the uh, babies who are born addicted to drugs and alcohol? Babies who are born? Yes. Well, uh, medical science says that it's in the, the blood, you know, that stuff is passed on through the genes and the blood. So that would be naturally that they would be addicted to it. I mean, that's the only way that that can happen. But another thing you have to realize, too, is that because of the uh, responsibility of man, the fathers, the sins of the fathers are being passed on generation after generation. God has ordained that it should be God, Jesus, man, woman, and children. That is not happening. It's not happening in the home. The mother is over it. She's running. The father's somewhere wimp, wimped out. And these sins that we, are, as men, are involved in is being passed on generation after generation. But if you and I should get it right, I decided to get it right, and now my children are, are having a better life because I love the truth and I live by it. You know, I don't give it to all that other so that, That's your version of But we all right. can do because he's not going to treat me any differently than <clears throat> he would treat you. I didn't understand what you said. Does that mean that God ordains that or man did it because the kids are watching how you live your life? About uh, the generational curse. Oh, yeah, that's a good question, man. He want to know that God do it or well, man did it. Did that come because of the way you live? Absolutely. So, Absolutely. I thought you said it, God. It was, no, it was by the way I live. Our kids patterned after us, our example, not what we say, but what we do. Yeah. Yes, yes, sir. Yes, Mike. I haven't say said something. anything. I was sometimes sitting here we, listening. Sometimes we fail to, to understand the relevance of economics in all of this. It is important how you start out your analysis to arrive at correct conclusions after comparative analysis. And see, there's a big economic uh, consideration here. See, at first it was thought that alcoholism was, was seen from a judicial legal perspective. And so folks that believe that alcoholics are basically criminals, they just call for more jails and more policemen. Then some folks says, no, let's do it from a public health perspective. We don't need more jails and policemen. We need recovery homes. We need self-help um, orientation. Then some folks come along and say, well, no, it's not even that. It's a psychiatric problem. It's a psychological problem. Some say, no, we need money for social reorientation. It's the advertisers and the supply and demand kind of concept. And so you see there's billions of dollars involved here. If you can perpetrate upon a society a concept of disease, then you set a society to pursue a healing cure to look for a healing for a disease that doesn't exist. In the meantime, folks are getting rich. Folks are making money, perpetrating these misconcepts upon people. And people, the victims who don't know any better, accept these labeling. I, I, I encourage everyone to read Dr. Bobkin's book on uh, a psychobabble and how the labeling of the American society and getting you to accept labels like once an alcoholic, always an alcoholic, or, or neurotic, or maniac depressant, how it contributes to billions of dollars in the psychiatric industry. So I, that's a comment I want to make. I would well, say that I would like to, this book would contribute to Dr. Bob's <laughs> psychobabble's richness also. Well. I'd like to address that uh, because the biggest proponents of the disease concept are not necessarily uh, recovery or treatment facilities. The biggest proponents of that are the 12-step programs. And those programs are not basically revolving around a profit motivation. The issues that came out and where all the billions of dollars are spent are in the treatment and recovery facilities. Those facilities adopted a lot of the 12-step programs. It wasn't that the 12-step programs, the 12-step programs came first, the recovery and treatment community came next. So when you're looking at it, you have to look at it that we're talking about two separate things. The 12, the disease concept from the 12-step program became convenient 
for the treatment community. I will not argue that, but I will have to disagree that 12-step programs are motivated by profits. Let me no, I was just saying, I just wanted to clarify that. Mike, that was all, sir. Mike, were you ever on drugs or an alcohol? Yes. You, uh, and are yeah. you over it now? Over it. <laughs> over it. Uh, I believe that the situation that I am in has caused me the opportunity not to use drugs, not to use alcohol. Mm-hmm. So uh, by virtue of my own personal recovery, which is rooted in the 12-step program and a number of other things, uh, I have been able to recover from that state that I was in, that hopeless state of my mind and my body. So um, if you didn't have the, uh, uh, the programs, the uh, 12 steps and the program that you were, and I assume it's still involved in, would you go back on drugs and alcohol if your situation should change? I believe that I would simply because of the fact that left to my own devices, uh, I don't believe I have that which is within me, and I haven't sufficiently developed or matured or uh, gotten to whatever it is to be able to adequately control my behavior. Really? Uh, I'm just not that good of a person. And why not? I'm just not. I'm a human being. I'm not that good yet. So do you think that the people that are handing up the programs are better than you? Pardon me? The people that you go to for help or have gone to for help, are they better than you? No. I never stated that they were better than me. Okay, so how they is it that you can trust them? They had information them? that I did not have. But when they you, had tools I did not have. And you trust that information that they have? I have trusted that information for the last nine years of my life. Really? And in trusting that information, it has taken me down a path which has led me to the same things that you were talking about. The good, the good home, the good child, the uh, wonderful existence, et cetera, et cetera. So that was the reason why I made the statement that we can all go on different paths. The job is to get to that end product. Floyd, what is going to happen to you eventually? What do you think is going to happen? How old are you now? 39. You're 39? Yes. You're 39. What is going to happen to you in your life? Are you going to always be there? Are you going to finally go out on your own? What's your going own? to happen to me? At, you mean, am I going to stay at this job? or? Yeah. Or what do you mean when you say what's going to happen? Well, you to don't, me? I mean, do you plan to go out into the world on your own one day? Or, or are you in the world? I am now? in the world. Oh, you are in the world. So you're not dependent on any program or anything right now? No, I think you got you. You misunderstood. I've been clean and sober for over four years and three months. Okay. You know, it's been four years and three months. You know, and um, I've been working here in this organization, getting paid for like two, two years, and I don't know. I almost. And so, are you over your emotional problems and things like that? With what? The emotional problem that you had that caused you to use the drugs. Are you over that now? No. What What I do is um. It ain't like it used to be. You know, and what I do is, I, d- I also am, am in a 12-step program. You know, and what I do is, um, <clears throat> I pray, and I try to work those 12 steps, you know, 12 steps of recovery. You know, and I am a Christian, and I believe Jesus can heal you, but there's some stipulations on healing. What are the stipulations? I have to follow it with, some, with something. See, what do you I mean? am, you know, I believe God can. God has uh, taken away the mental obsession from me, like Walter said. See, and um, it's like since you are a Christian, I get it that you are a Christian uh-huh. and you read the word of God. See, when uh, they had the adulterous woman, 
when the adulterous woman was in front of the, you know, when Jesus caught her and the people, you know, um, he told her to go and sin no more. Right. You know, now, did he heal her of her adulterous actions? Yes. But it was a stipulation on it. It's a, I mean, you anymore. have to read really deep in the Bible verse. It, it was really uh, but I don't deep. understand the point you're trying to make. Okay, Is it easy uh, for you to follow the program or follow Jesus? It's easy for me to follow the program. Rather that, than Jesus. That, helps, that keeps me following Jesus. Oh, okay. Yes, sir. <laughs> <You know. laughs> what do you think about it? I think if the program have helped y'all in all this time, y'all need to find another program. Pardon me? I think if the if the homeless program that y'all working for uh-huh. is still leading y'all and maybe it might lead y'all to drugs in the near future, Hold on. y'all need to find another program. Hold on, I think, I think you have the wrong concept. Uh, uh, I, I need to let you know, I am the founder of this program. I am the entrepreneur. Hold on, please hear me. Please hear me. These are employees. They are paid. These are individuals who probably make a very, very decent salary. They're saying that that still might lead them to drugs, and, and any salary they is not saying that would not they compensate are saying for that. that. As long as they are human beings, that drugs may capture anybody, and it can get you. Mike, Mike, we're out of time again. What's your phone number on the way out, Mike? Uh, our number is area code 213-621-2800. Goodbye. Have a good day. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I just found out tonight that uh, it's not white anymore. You don't call white folk white folk. You call them Caucasians. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> so welcome to the program. I'm sorry? Why? Uh, he asked me something about you, and I said, who's that white guy? And he said, oh, no, not white guy, the Caucasian guy. You don't call him white. Why call him white? Why does call him? I don't know why. Why? Why call him white? Because he look white. Have you seen? Let me show I call you. Oh, don't, sh- don't take your clothes off. <laughs> okay, welcome to the program. We're doing a uh, three-part series on homelessness. And tonight we're going to try to get a better understanding of homelessness. Can you overcome it? Why people? Uh, why do you become homeless and how to prevent it? My guest today is Pastor Sergio Hacas. Did I say that right? Correct. All right. And he's from the Plain Truth Outreach Christian Church. And... Uh, Next to him is Vodi Bakum. Bakum. Yes. What, what, you get, what kind of name is that? <laughs> that name is German Jewish. Oh, really? It's named after my father. Wow. No wonder you're a big guy. I'm <laughs> He's not, not a big you. guy. Huh? He's not a big guy. Really? So how did you get to be so big? I think I, I, think I received this from my mother's brothers. They're all about six foot four, wow. at least. Mm-hmm. There are four of them that are over six foot four. Wow. So that's probably where I got it from. And uh, Leon, huge. Hughes. Hughes. Okay. Thank you guys for coming to the program. Thank Can you we welcome for inviting us. Pastor Sergio, uh, due to the time that we have here, limited time, mm-hmm. tell us about your program, where you're located, and address and phone number as to how people can help you out. Thank you, Jesse. Our church is located in the city of Linwood, 12627 Oak Avenue. The number is 310-763-1592. Within the infrastructure of our ministry, we have very, uh, various outreach ministries. One of them is Project Angel, that is a 24-hour emergency homeless response. 
Another one is Project Turnaround, which is a co-ed residential facility for individuals on, on, uh, on substance abuse. And other programs, uh, a Christian's Academy for Children, grades 1 through 12, um, and on and on we, we can talk about what we have. What is the cause of homelessness? You know, Jess, when you ask that question, I think in the way you ask it, it's misleading. I think there are causes. I think there are some causes that are within the control of the individual, but I think there are some causes that are outside of the control of the individual. This myth of the family or the individual as an individual unit in our society basically came from the colonial days in the Americanization of our society. This idea that the family is an independent unit, therefore, is totally responsible for how it progresses or how it fails. We must add the, the reality that there are outside forces that come upon family units that are outside the family's control that contribute to the end result of family progress or regress. I agree with that. Thank you. But, Pastor Sergio, isn't there a way to deal with that, to prevent that from happening? So, aren't we supposed to be taught within the family how to deal with those forces that come at us? Yes. Uh, now, not, now we're bringing about the educational systems that are set up within the family, and unfortunately there's multi-generational ignorance. Uh, in the family units today. I agree with you that the families need to be re-educated, reorientated to self-empowerment, but at the same time, not to captivate their minds to a sense of independence, but dependence on God. Dependence on God. Yes. Um, you deal with mostly, most of the people in your program are black because you're in that black community, is that right? I deal with mostly African-American people because those are the ones that God is sending me. Oh, okay. It's not and environmental. And Pastor Sergio, what is the, why is it that the few blacks there are in this country, why are most of the men on drugs? You know, one, yeah, one of the things that we do in our program is we ask them to write a 12-page autobiography when they first come into our program so I can get a basic assessment of the situation. Constantly, there's a commonality factor that exists in the majority of African-American males that come to our program. And it's, uh, usually it's because of the lack of uh, parenting coming from the father, yes. the, the absence of the father, or the presence of the father in a very abusive dynamics within the home. So you either have the father absent from the home or you have him present in the home, but very abusive in the home. And uh, is this what you do? Do you bring this to their attention within yes. your program? Yes. We, w one of our strong points is we study uh, family history, uh -huh. family systems theory. Uh, I, don't, I, don't ever, I don't ever encourage a person to look back into his past to find the, the excuses or to use it as an excuse. But I go back and I ask, ask them to go back to see what were the contributing factors from which they frame certain presuppositions about their own existence. Uh, is, is it safe to say the leading cause of homelessness is drugs, especially for black men? The leading cause of homelessness is drugs, yes. I would, I would, I would concur drugs. with you, yes. Okay. Um, Bodhi, that, that's right. That's correct. Oh, my goodness, I said it right. <laughs> Bodhi, <laughs> you are part of Pastor Sergio's program. Yes, I am. Is that right? That's and right. what brought you there? Uh, the reason that I came to the program is because of a substance abuse problem. Really? And well, drugs. Drugs? The, drugs was the, is the, is the outside you know, reason that uh, society-wise that I came to the program, you would, I guess you would say a drug. Yeah. Uh, I, I think that, that, that actually prevalent, though, and more involved in it is the fact that uh, sin is definitely an issue, is the issue 
as far as uh, a person uh, being involved with drugs, you know, I, I think it's very important for uh, you know a man to understand exactly what brought him to the use of drugs. And I've heard a lot of people talk about you know different reasons that they start to use drugs. But I think that the the, the real prevalent issue with using drugs in uh, most of the problems in our society is is the fact that the, it's, it's not just a drug problem; it's a sin problem. Yeah. And so sin brought you to the drugs, right? Of, of what were your sins? Oh God, short of murder, uh, just about covered the gamut. You know, I mean, uh, I, I don't have a criminal record, but uh, I mean, I mean, I think I think sin. Uh, you know, I'm 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 as sinful as anybody else that that lives in this world. I think if you if you, the, the word of God tells me that that we're born in sin. You know, so I think that it's the nature of every human being is to be sinful, and I think outside of the the saving grace of Christ and uh, you know redemption, redemption and salvation, I think that we were, we are we are. I think the problem is that when sin begins to reign in a person, I think that's when you you know when when you can really begin to be uh, to deviate to a point where you know you can begin to do uh, criminal things or become involved uh, in, in drug abuse. Let I me think. ask this way. Okay, I'm assuming that here you are, you go along with life, having a good time, and all of a sudden you sin. Isn't that right? No, I don't think I all of a sudden sinned. I think that for a long time there was a buildup of okay. several sins, of all kinds of sin. And I think that what began to happen is that as sin began way. to dominate. How old were you when you first started drugs? Sinning or using drugs? Let's do the drugs. How old were you when uh, you started I, I think the first time I started using drugs, I was uh, about 22 years old. 22. Right. What started you at that point to use a drug? At 22? I think, just, I think just socially uh, fitting in. And, and You know, I, I was uh, raised in the 60s. And I think that just socially oh, okay. uh, fitting in. Marijuana was, you know, it, it was prevalent. The Vietnam War was raging. There were protests all over the all over the place. Uh, I think rebellious nature and and the the, the promotion and availability of, of drugs, uh, you know, be, began to just was my introduction. Let me ask you this again. I know Pastor Sergio has a question or a statement or question. What? Why couldn't you get over it yourself? Why did you have to end up homeless and in a program? I, I've never been homeless. Oh, just in the program. No, I've never been homeless. So, I, 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 are you living at the program now? Yeah, I, I'm at the program. And now. that's not considered being homeless. No, I have a home. <laughs> oh, you have a home out yes, there, but you just don't live in it. Right. Oh, I see. I mean, so why couldn't you help yourself? Well, I, I think that, uh, you know, that, that, that when you're dealing with issues as, as uh, I, I think that, that a Christian program, which was my choice, is very important for a person to come into contact with what really is the problem. Yes. You see, I think I hear, I've heard a lot of reasons for people talking about what the problem is. Uh, you know, uh, Dr. Hockey has went through a whole list of things, of programs that came up, the four different varieties of programs that, that begin to develop. But I think once you become aware of the fact that sin is the problem, then in most cases, most people in our society need to come to a place where they can find out biblically uh, what exactly the problem is and where it came from. And that's the reason that I came into the program. Oh, good. You know? uh, Pastor Sergio, you want to say something? Yeah, I think the questions need to be asked a little bit more clearly. That's not making any inference upon you, Jesse. Oh, no problem. There's a difference <laughs> when we say, why does a person begin to use drugs? And there's a different thing, question that you're asking when you say, why, do, why does a person become addicted to drugs? A person can begin, basically begins to use drugs. By the time you analyze it to its end conclusion, it was a personal choice to use the drugs. But the person becomes addicted for pharmacological reasons. There's addictive qualities within the substances themselves that perpetrate a drastic physiological change upon the body. 
perfect example. Alcohol, uh, the, the biomolecular bio, uh, structure of alcohol mimics synthetically the molecular structure of natural opiates in the body. Right. And so when you introduce synthetic opiates into the body, you fool the body into believing that it's receiving natural opiates, and at the same time, it is damaging the body productive system that creates the natural opiates. So what's happening is you're becoming addicted without wanting to become addicted. The second thing about sin, let me interject about sin. All this about when did you begin sinning, you see sin, when you talk about sin, and I assume this is a, a biblical forum, when we talk about sin, sin first entered into the world through one man, and the consequences of that sin just are threefold. When man first sinned, he became separated from God. Second, he became separated from other people. That's why he only loves himself. And he also became separated from himself psychologically. That's why there's so much wanting to find fulfillment and wanting to find self-satisfaction and all this quest for self-esteem building and all of this. The pride of man. Exactly. So the sin issue is a very complex issue. Well, let me ask, uh, Vody, do you sin now? Oh, every day. You sin every day? Of course. Are you a Christian? I certainly am. And how is it that you sin every day? I, I, I think that, that, that just our nature, a, a thought can, a sin can, sin is, sin can be a sinful thought. So I think that none of us are void of the fact that sinful thoughts pass through our minds on each and every day. So I, I don't think there's any question about whether or not I am, I am still sinful. I think that through grace, I'm able to, to not allow sin to reign today. In other words, I, so I don't... So it's possible to be a Christian and, and sin too? Of course. Really? So what's the purpose of being a Christian then if you're going to, if you're going to continue to sin? I, I think the, the purpose of being a Christian is the fact that eternal salvation is a promise at the end. Oh, but not now. Yeah, that's, that's the promise at the end. Eternal really? salvation is a promise at the end. Well, I think that in this life and in this world... What I, what I have to do is by grace and through my association and my relationship with God is to help allow him to help me to be able to keep myself in a place so that at the end, you know, I'm, I'm able to. So you don't believe you can have heaven on earth? I don't believe you can have heaven on earth. I, I, I don't. I don't. I don't think that. No. I, what does that have to do with sin? That's like because saying, "Can you have dry land?" That's like saying, "Can you have dry land under the ocean?" Really? Yeah. Let me I, ask you this. It, it just popped in my mind, and forgive me if that's I quote, okay. if I quote okay. it wrong because I don't know the Bible that that's well. All, that's all right. Let's say somewhere it says that if a man says that he know me, this is in the Bible. And he sins, he's a lie, the truth is not in him. That's not what it says. How would you expect that? It says, <laughs> if a man says, sins. no, it, it says, if a man says he has no sin, sin. he is he's a liar. liar. Well, I know that's in there too. Okay. Now, but now, it also says, there's another part about if a man says that he know me and he sins, then the truth no, is not in him. No, that's not what that says. It says, or no. if is he walks in the light or something no. like no, that. No, here's what, here's what it in does first say. John, yes. that's where it is. First yes. John, the first chapter, somewhere in there. Yes. That's no. not in the Bible? Yes. That's not what yes. it says. We, we need to really be careful when we are quoting the Word of God, that we are yeah. quoting it correctly and within its contextual and cultural relevance. Exactly. Okay? Yeah. Now, the problem, first, if we're going to have a clear understanding of sin, we have to then define what sin is. Okay, first, Pastor, I want you to do this for me. Yes. Just so I know, and I'll verify when I get home. Um, is there any way in the Bible, and I'm believing that it's in John somewhere, First John, one of those John mm-hmm. people. Is there any way in the Bible where it says that if a man says that he knows me and he sins, or something like if he walk, he says he knows me or walk in the light and he sins, 
he is a lie and the truth is not in him. Is that anywhere in the Bible? If a man says if he, he has says he no knows, sin, then no, no. it says if you walk in the I light. I understand that's in there. Right. If you walk in the light as he is in the light. Right. That's what that's talking about. But the light that that's referring to is not absolute moral perfection. Let's deal with morality. Let's deal with absolute morality versus uh, relative morality. Let's deal with ethics, absolute ethics versus situational ethics. Okay, the standard. When we're talking about sin, we're talking about a standard. And the standard cannot be discovered among the masses of humans, Jess. It is a divine standard. And when we talk about a divine standard, then every human being falls short and will continue to fall short. Okay, this leads me to ask, do you believe that... um you can know God and sin? Of course. Yeah. Let me give you As an example. As a pastor, do you sin? Yes, let me give you an example. You do Isaiah, sin? yes. Isaiah, the great prophet. What kind of sin do you do? Isaiah, uh, anger, uh, really? uh, 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 jealousy, um, envy at times. Really? Uh, yes, 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 yes. Then I, I talk about folks sometimes. Before I know it, I've done talked about them. But, but well, I pastor understand. Sergio, how do you explain, man, that uh, in him, perfect love, uh-huh. Cast out envy and jealousy and That's strife. Right. No, perfect love casts out all fear. And but in perfect. him, though, there is no jealousy and no. envy and strife. No. And That's in him. That. Now I'm, I'm gonna help you. I'm gonna right. help you. I'm gonna help you on this show, and I'm gonna help you with your personal life. Now, Jess, <laughs> you, you have to understand one thing: that in the book of in the first John, as you said, Jess. In, oh, in, Pastor Sergio, yes. hold that. We need to take a break. Okay, but we'll come right to that thought Thank after you. the break. Thank we'll be back in a moment. Brotherhood Organization of a New Destiny. Rebuilding the family by rebuilding the man. For more information, call us toll-free, 1-800-411-BOND. That's 1-800-411-BOND. Okay, we are back. Uh, Pastor Sergio, you was going to make a statement to teach me something on this show. Yes, we need to understand that redemption, as defined in the Word of God through the shedding of the blood of Christ, paid for the sins of the world, past, present, and yes. future. Right. Therefore, it leads us into the doctrine of confession and cleansing. First John, if we sin, we have an advocate. We can confess our sins, and He is just and merciful to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And does that mean that we can just keep, I mean, could we like sin and then get up and confess that and then maybe... No, no, see, now you're talking about an antinomian position. I mean, uh, where does it all end then? Well, it ends at the end of the road. It ends at the end of life when we cast off this corruption. You see, when we talk about sin, what are the contributing factors to human experience? Mental orientation. That's why after you even born again, if we want to use that term, the Bible says, be not conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And the renewing of the mind is not an immediate process nor a mediated process. continual process. Well, let me we, ask you this. You just popped a question in my head. Thank you. Have you noticed that when, a new, when you do cross over into salvation or the new birth, that you wake up, uh, you become aware of your mind, you come out of your imagination, and that you're no longer led by your imagination? Because before salvation, we seem to be led by our imagination. What we feel, and, you know, we think, feel, and act. And we can't see anything else. But once we repent, 
we wake up to the imagination, we come out of it, and now when the imagination tries to control us because we can see it, we're able to resist it. And Have be- you noticed that? I, I, I've noticed something similar to the experience you're describing, but I don't so think it's being... Wait, wait, Jess. I don't think it's being described accurately because imagination is one thing. Passions are another thing. Imagination come. I mean, the passions come from imagination. No, no. How can uh, you, you say that? You have to imagine in order to feel it. How, how, how can you say that? How can you say that, that imagination comes from passions? Have you ever had a passion without imagining something first? Yes. How? How yes. is that possible? Yes. Imagina- imagination has visual imagery. Imagination yeah. is something that I initiate. But see, that's what we're supposed to come away from. Because in that get away imag- from your question now, Jess. But let me just answer that. Okay. In that imagination, your imagination makes you think that you're God. You can create your own world. I agree with that. But then, see, that's, that's what we need to right. repent of. When you cross over to salvation, you're separated from that imagination. You know that he's God and not you. I agree with you that. You no longer try to create your own world. I agree with that. And then not trying to create your own world is impossible to sin. Well, Ephesians tells us that we are not no longer like the Gentiles, the children of wrath, who walk after their vain imagination. So you're absolutely correct. That it is that it is in the imagine that the vanity of the mind. But what is the cause for that vain imagination? It is a life that is disassociated and disconnected from the reality, the correct reality of God, of God, of God, which is sin, of God. I know, but any separation from God is sin. Well, sin and is a consequence. Thing, yeah, the thing that keeps us separated is the fact that we do sin. Mm-hmm. And as long as we sin, we're going to live in our imagination. As long as we sin, we're going to live in our imagination. And as long as we imagine, we're going to sin. Right. But when you repent. And you come out of that imagination, it is impossible to sin, then you're free from sin. I don't agree with the, imp- the word impossible. You know why it's impossible? Because you mm-hmm. can now see temptation before it overtake you. Mm-hmm. The problem is, when we're living in our imagination, we can't see sin until it has overtaken us. Let me give you an example from, to from one of the great apostles. One of the great apostles, man that walked real close to Christ, Jesse. When he was walking with Christ, he was still bound by a certain manifestation of yeah. sin. And that was Paul, right? Peter. Peter, you see, you see, Peter would, uh, would, would have dealings with the Gentiles as long as his Jewish colleagues were not around. But as long as his Jewish... It's like blacks having dealings with whites as long as their black colleagues are not around. And as soon as the black colleagues cut God, they kind of shine away from the whites. That's a perfect example. That's, that's sin. That's unrepentant person. That's, that's, that's unrepentant sin. Yeah. But, but see, there's, so there, now then we continue to sin and we have constant need for repentance. But, Pastor Sergio, yes? I wanted to tell you here today... <laughs> It is impossible to know God and sin. Not true. Absolutely impossible. I'll Let me prove it that. to you from the Word of God. Let but me prove it to you from the Word of God. Isaiah, the great prophet. You see, that's the problem with America because this understanding is not in third world countries in Christendom. The closer you get to God, the more you get to see God, the more you see your own filthiness. It's not the other way around. Isaiah, the great prophet who dialogued and prophesied by the power of God when he seen God. He said, Woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips. My eyes have seen the glory of the Lord. Well, you know what? You're absolutely right. But what happens is when you come out, when you come out of that imagination, mm-hmm. which makes you think that you are God, you are constantly looking at yourself and you see that you're nothing. 
and, and, and seeing that you're nothing, you don't resent what you see about it. You realize you are nothing. You're not God. You're trying to change your own life. It doesn't work. You give it up and let him. And you see you're nothing. And in that, you do see what you, the, the scripture you just quoted. It, it become a reality to you. And you give up playing God. Mm-hmm. But you got to repent so you can come out of that darkness in order to know that. So I, am I, so I can clear, have a clear understanding. You're saying that repentance then is needed only one time in human experience. And once that actually takes place, it is impossible for that individual to continue to sin. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, again, Absolutely. I refer you to First because John. I know what happens. He that says he has no sin is but a that's liar. That's what you said. No, 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 Pastor. <laughs> this is what you just said. Mm-hmm. You said once we repent for sinning, which means that in our history, we're going to always have that in our history. Uh-huh. But once we repent, uh-huh. then it's impossible to sin. But you're going to always have a history. It is impossible from the, to from sin. From the new day forward, you don't sin anymore. Don't you understand that to not sin is to be like God? So what you're saying is that once you repent, you become like God. You become free from sin. and, so and Only history, God is free from sin. But you know what happened, Pastor? Mm-hmm. You're tempted with it, but because you're not, as I just said, you're guided by the light from within, mm-hmm. you're able to see it before it overtake you, mm-hmm. then, and, and it's Him that is guiding you. Mm-hmm. Then you don't do it. Mm-hmm. That's how you prevent from doing it. God mm-hmm. is guiding The Holy Spirit is guiding mm-hmm. you. So you don't do it because mm-hmm. you're waking up to another. Right. You know the guy at the gate said, I was blind, but now I can see? When you come out of that darkness, you're able to see, mm-hmm. and sin is what prevents you from sinning. You know, God has before His throne seraphim angels, angelic creatures that have eyes, multiplicity of eyes all over their body, and they guard the holiness of God. Let, Only because any sinless creature is God, and there is no other God but the God. You know what? Let's do this because time is like running, okay. and this is we I can go on. Yeah. Leon, uh, how did you? Uh, were you, how did you end up in Pastor Sergio's program? I'm not in the program. I'm the, I'm the administrator of the program. You're the administrator. You've never been in the program. Yes, I was in the program five years ago. Five years. How did you end up in it five years ago? I made bad decisions in my life. And what caused you to make bad decisions? Wanted to do what everybody else was doing. Wanted to be a part. Wanted to be a part of. Wanted to have fun because the drugs were there. The alcohol was there. Everybody was doing it, so it was supposed. It looked like fun. I got curious. Yeah. And Leon, are you like overdrugs now? And I call it all that kind of stuff. Through the grace of God, I do, I no longer have a desire to use. Does that mean that you're over it? I, I, don't, I see. I'm asking because I want to get it clear for others who may be okay, stuck wait, in the wait, let, let me get this clear. We, we I, we're not going to twist what I, I, I like. I said through the grace of God. I no longer have the desire to use. It's just that that's that's it. I I, I can't. I'm not gonna go into dialogue about how you want me to answer or what you how you how you want to twist it. I'm not. Finna, I'm not. I'm not, gonna, I'm not getting into that. And so, for those that may be listening and watching this program, okay. when you say by the grace of God, you no longer have the desire to use it, because there is a notion that once an alcoholic or a drug addict, always an alcoholic or a drug addict. Do you believe, believe that, that notion to be true? I don't believe that. Okay, so you do believe that you're over it. You can't get over it. I said through the grace of God, I no longer have the desire because I am not exempt from using again. Oh, you're I, not. I, I could go out there and make a bad decision. I, I could leave here right now and go and go down Crenshaw and make a bad decision and be using drugs and alcohol one more time. Really, Pastor Sergio, we got. Are we doing? A, we are doing a second part, right? No. Oh my goodness, Pastor Sergio. Yeah. Uh, I personally like your program. I know. And uh, I want people to know about it, how to reach you, and. Thank you. and Unfortunately, this is the last segment they okay. just told me. 
Uh, what's your phone number and address and how people can find out about it? 310-763-1592. We have 24-hour staff. Call at any time. We have somebody that's there able to help you. Do you have, like, regular service where anybody can come? Oh, or yeah. do you we have, have to we're be- full, full ministry. We have services at 1230, Sunday school at 11 every Sunday. Bible studies Wednesday night, CA meetings during the week, et cetera, et cetera. Yes. You do. And anyone can come to Anyone that. can come. Anyone and, can come. you know, if you're, if you're economically uh, disassociated, no money, and we can verify that you don't have any uh, tie to money, we'll, it doesn't take money to come into our program. Yeah. And as we're winding down, you believe, too, that people can overcome Alcohol and drugs. It's not like a disease no, that they have to do. hold on to. Yeah, just for clarity, point of clarification, when we talk about going back to addiction, all that really is saying is that at any point, if you make a choice to use drugs again, you are going to yeah. fall victim to the addictive qualities of the substance. Okay, we're out of time, but you know, I'm going to have Pastor Sergio back, and he and I are going to talk about God. Yes, I love yeah. that, yes. We're, we're not going to talk about drugs. We're going to talk that, about yes. God. I love that. All right? Yeah. Okay, thanks a lot. Yeah. Bye. Bye.